From Brooklyn, New York, I'm Adam Teeter. From Manhattan, New York, I am Kat Walensky. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. And Kat, we are so excited to have you uh, guest co-hosting with us this week. Well, thank you. It's it's good to be back. I haven't been on here in a while. <laughs> I know it's been it's been like it's been <laughs> well, and, and you would think like we hadn't talked about beer if you hadn't been on here, but we have. I promise. I mean, I know you. Uh, listen, you know, that's debatable. Come on, you know we talk about beer. Barely. Come on, no. Barely. I think to Kat's defense, I think we may have done more spiked seltzer podcast than beer podcast recently. So, oh, God, yeah, it's, it's true. been suffering a little bit. But hey, that's that's it's why it's great to have you on. Yes. I mean, honestly. Well, so I guess to, to start off, like, what have you guys been drinking? Kat, what about you? What have you been drinking this week? Oof. Um, Besides this lots week, of things in the election. Oh, God. You should see my bottle lineup from the other <laughs> night. <laughs> um, the one beer that I'm excited about this week is an Imperial Stout from Brown's Brewery. It's like this really cool, opaque black bottle, and I can't see the name on it right now, but um, it is not a barrel-aged stout, which was kind of what, like, piqued my interest in it because I've been so deep in <laughs> barrel-aged stouts recently and, you know, with the Bourbon County tasting um, that we did with Goose Island and all of that stuff that it was like, oh, right. Like there can be imperial stouts that don't spend a year in a super like exclusive coveted bourbon barrel. Um, and it's really delicious. It's uh, made with ancho chili peppers and um, cocoa nibs and a couple other fun ingredients. Wow. You know, it's funny that I didn't even like, I wasn't even surprised when you're the thing you were drinking this week was a beer. What else would it be? You know, like, I was like, oh my God, is Kat going to throw out like a cocktail? Is she going to like throw out like, a, like, oh my gosh, it was a beer. But no, that sounds delicious actually. Ancho chilies. Mm. Oh, it's so good. It's not spicy, but you get kind of like that dusty, like spice flavor, like essence, if that makes sense. You know, like the flavor of the pepper without the um, the heat. I like it. I dig. I dig. Well, what about you, Zach? I got to say my my late night drink of choice, because I the last couple of days uh, have been, I just have been like too anxious and nervous to even drink, which I know sounds weird to people. But like I, when I get really like, I can't drink during important sporting events for sort of the same reason. Like I just, it like fucks with me too hard. So, uh, but I have been having some, uh, a lot of single malt scotch, uh, well, a fair bit of single malt scotch at the end of the night. Uh, to help me sleep. And uh, I, I gotta say, so this is a little bit of a, like a deep cut kind of, but uh, my wife and I picked up a bottle of a limited release from compass box, which is a, uh, like a, a scotch blending house, but they blend like really, really nice parcels of single malt. So it's not like we, sometimes people think blended scotch and think cheap, um, even though obviously things like some of the jockey Johnny Walker bottles are not cheap at all. And this is in that same category. It's their uh, Pete monster arcana, which is like a limited release um, a very Pete, scotches and it is fucking delicious uh like smoky for sure but also like has more of like a chocolatey tone to it than a lot of that style of scotch and it's kind of this cool piece of blending where you do you know i have a lot of love for single malts and and drink a lot of them and have a lot of them but but blended scotches sometimes can offer you just a a flavor profile that no single distillery is ever going to give you with a single malt so i have a special spot in my heart for those two and and that's what uh, what i've been drinking that does sound special yeah, that sounds like very, very tasty. Um, so, I mean, obviously, this week has been the election uh, that still isn't over. Um, hopefully, by the time you listen to this podcast, it will be over. Um, but so far, it is not. And so I've consumed a few different things, um, <laughs> you know, just like rolling through. I actually had a, uh, a cocktail I think I've talked about before um, that I've made that's uh, like a riff on a cocktail from a really great 
Contra Bar here in uh, New York City. Well, they own two, but um, one is called Elsa. The other is called Ramona. Um, and it's called The Death of the Ladies Man. And so I, I made that on the beginning of the night uh, of actual election night on Tuesday, which was really delicious. Um, and I made that with a little bit of, uh, you know, whistle pig uh, piggyback, which was pretty tasty. Um, and it was really, really good. Um, and then I also actually, you know, I mean, I know I talk about them a lot and I, I think it's going to sound like I'm running a commercial for them. But I've been like last night. I drank a few threes, uh, and yeah, I had Wandering Vine, which is like my favorite beer they make. That's your favorite um, beer because I told you it's your favorite beer. Thanks, it's my Kat. favorite beer. <laughs> yes, it's a delicious beer. It's a delicious beer. Now it's like the staff favorite beer. We all yeah. had the bottle the last time we went to the tap room. It's a great beer, um, and I also had a, a you know a limited release like IPA they just came out with that was that was pretty tasty as well. Um, and I can't remember the name, so well, well I'm not going to share it with you guys. So those are, those are the things so that I've been drinking this week, but we'll see we'll see what happens tonight and through the weekend if this if this uh, shit gets continues to get out of hand. But yeah, so otherwise, you guys holding up okay? Yeah, um, I just want to say, by the way, I looked up uh, the beer because it's sitting right next to me. It's called Calavera, and it's uh, it's got ancho chilies, vanilla, cinnamon, allspice, and cocoa nibs. This is like a delicious dessert. For the holidays, whether your holidays are actually joyful or if you're just sitting at home on your couch like me, I highly recommend it. Amazing. So, well, I guess, guys, like, like, let's get into it. So, today we're talking about barrel aged beers and just aging beer in general. So, I mean, obviously, Kat, no one better to chat about that than you. And I, I guess I'll, I'll jump off and just say, you know, I I've enjoyed barrel aged beers in the past, but to me, they often are just so boozy that they're not something I, I go to very often. I know obviously around this time of year is the big, um, you know, Goose Island bourbon County stout release, but I, I'm not that familiar with them to be, to be quite honest. Like I don't drink them very often and I've actually never aged beer. Uh, so I don't oh have any experience God. sort of like aging it. I've had other people's aged beers. Sometimes they're good and sometimes they're, they're dead. Uh, had an experience recently with with one of our contributors, Aaron Goldfarb, where he opened up a few of his his beers from his quote unquote cellar, and they were all kind of dead. So I don't have like the the most amazing uh, experiences, but you know, I, I, I'm I definitely think they're interesting. So I don't know, like why should we be drinking more barrel aged beer, and like what is it about them that has so so many people so obsessively collecting them? Where to begin? Um, first of all, I will note that you're asking why should we be drinking them, which is the most important thing to do with a barrel-aged stout is just drink it. Um, I have also aged many beers in my, quote, cellar, unquote, which has usually just been like a hot corner of whatever apartment I'm living in, and it does not really um, bode very well. So I, too, have ruined many a beer that I held on to for like years and years for no real reason. Um, but what makes them so appealing is a lot of things like it's there's like the cool technical part that like this is beer that's been aged in a barrel you know it kind of brings it up to that level of bourbon or wine or something that you kind of picture in this like really time consuming um like skillful pursuit right um and it's also just I mean, we love bourbon in America. So really bourbon barrel aged stouts are what, what really started the whole trend and what made it such a big deal. Um, we put bourbon in anything. <laughs> I mean, we just, 
we uh, published a story recently about why Americans are bourbon barrel aging everything. Like even one of the Goose Island variants this year is also it's it's like aged in three different uh, like distilleries barrels, and then also with maple bourbon barrel, like the barrel <laughs> that was bourbon, and then bourbon barrel aged maple syrup was in it, and then that syrup is used in the beer, which is then bourbon barrel aged. <laughs> It's like, it's just insane and cool. And I'm wondering too, Kat, you know, like, uh, I think we, one of the things that I always, I'm curious about with these kinds of beers is to some extent, like, I think as is the case with anything that gets aged in a barrel, you know, we talk a little bit about the flavor profile change, but I also wonder, you know, for me, one of the things that's cool about aging, you know, a lot of my frame of references is wine or, or obviously, you know, spirits, but, you know, do you feel like the, the beer benefits from sort of changing a, a changed or softened texture as well? Is that something that's that's kind of noteworthy? And is that something where aging the beer further can also do it? Because I, I think that, you know, Adam's caveat or, or, or qualm about some of these beers that I've shared in the past is that, you know, a 9% alcohol beer, besides being just kind of a little dangerous, if you're uh, trying to do anything else, <clears throat> pardon me, trying to do anything else with the rest of your day is uh, is a problem, but also that sometimes high alcohol beers can just be a little intense. Um, and, and I'm wondering if with, with some aging, um, either in the barrel initially or then uh, further bottle aging, do you do you sense a sort of softening of the beer over time? Yes and no. So two things. One, with with bourbon barrel aged beers and in general, like taking an imperial stout and aging it in a bourbon barrel or whiskey barrel um, or any spirits barrel, that is like you're boosting the flavors of the beer. So that's not like you're trying to take an imperial stout and make it less. You're trying to like really push those flavors and bring out as much as you can. Um, so, you know, like a, a, a high alcohol stout will have roasty flavors, chocolate flavors, vanilla, and that will become even more pronounced um, and nuanced if it's aged in a whiskey barrel. So you get, you know, the vanillin from the oak and you get whatever caramel and other kinds of flavors are coming from the whiskey that was in the barrel. Um, so that's more about like amplifying what the beer already was to make it something new. But other beer styles, I mean, you can barrel age many beer, any beer style you want, um, but with other varieties, like with sour beers, um, mixed fermentation, more like acidic or fruited ales, as well as the simplest uh, flavor profile, pilsners and lagers, when you age beers like that in a barrel, it actually does um, kind of have that softening, like rounding characteristic. Hmm. Very interesting. So where did this whole practice come from, Kat? So like, when did we, I mean, is, is Bourbon County Stout, like the, the Goose Island variant, is that sort of like the first big sort of barrel aged beers that sort of made the, the style popular? Like where, where did it come from? And it kind of feels like that now it's like how, like getting boozier and boozier and boozier. And is that also correct? Um, It is. So like, it is generally accepted that Goose Island and Bourbon County were the first to really like plant the flag in, in barrel aged beers and bourbon barrel aged beers specifically. And it became a huge draw to the brewery. Like, you know, this year is a little different because of the situation we're all living in. Yeah. COVID. Yeah. There's usually like a big release day. I mean, they have like crazy events that surround this. Like it, it really not only started, barrel aged beer um like 
coveting barrel-aged beers, but also the concept of like lining up for a beer or showing up for like a festival day that's just based around the one beer or stout that you're that you're going to get, um, and like looking forward to something that's released like a vintage of a beer. Um, those were all pretty much the like I guess the kind of trifecta of what made this like a culturally important beer and concept. Um, then, you know, like it's America. So brewers like to experiment. They like to push things to the limits. And, you know, these beers that like Bourbon County and many like high caliber barrel aged beers, they take years to make. I mean, there's like serious research and development. There's a lot of like just, you know, brewers and I think distillers probably say this too. It's like, we don't tell the beer when it's ready. <laughs> like the barrel tells us, you know, like, right. You really just have to like keep tasting and keep blending things. And it's a lot like there's a long process that goes into it. So they're not like taking one barrel and dumping it. And then that's the beer. They're taking tons of different barrels, obviously, in the same way. There's, there's, is there anything such thing as like a single barrel beer is this as like the single barrel bourbon? Um, there probably is just because if it's a super small brewery and their barrel program is like they got six barrels from, you know, the winery down the street. Um, they might only have one barrel of that beer, but it's not like, I don't, I don't think it's seen as like a benefit to only have the one. Like, I think the most, like the best, um, barrel aged beers are an ongoing process and, and are, are involved blending. Um, and with some of the like really good, um, like sour beer and, and like barrel aged, uh, sours, those are like even some breweries have Solera systems that they set up and, you know, they, they really take a long time to, um, to get to that exact, uh, the exact beer that they want. I have a question, Kat, about coming back specifically maybe to the, to the sort of bourbon barrel aged beers in general, uh, more specifically, because I think it's a different answer maybe for the sours and stuff. Is there in an ideal world, what's the best way to enjoy those? Are they better? I mean, often they're they're in bottle. Do you, is there like glassware that's best for it? Is it like, you know, do you want it like refrigerator cold or do you want it like warmer? Because I think like, you know, I, I think a lot about beer in general, like I want a cold beer, but I think with some of these sort of, um, you know, more premium beers, it might be interesting to think about what, whether there's an ideal, you know, serving temperature and, and maybe serving vessel for them. Yeah, totally different than, you know, like cracking open a Pilsner or something. I would say bourbon barrel-aged beers you want to drink, I guess, cellar temperature, maybe even a little warmer, like 55 degrees. Like you want to have that bottle in your fridge, but then take it out, uh, open it up, maybe even pour yourself a glass and, and let it sit there for like half an hour before you drink it if you can wait that long or just like <laughs> at least save some because you'll be able to really savor the flavors more. You know, the aroma opens up more same concept with any, any, you know, drink that we talk about on this podcast in terms of glassware, I always use a tulip glass um, or something similar. So a lot of people drink their barrel aged stouts in like little snifters, um, you know, like sort of tasting sized glasses and, I do that when I am tasting, if I'm trying to like, you know, get through a lineup like we did with Bourbon County. But if I'm like sitting and enjoying, like I'm committing to this 11% stout, then I'll usually use a bigger glass. Like you can use a wine glass, like the size of a wine glass. 
stemware. Feel fancy. Interesting. Okay. So why is it that people keep pushing the alcohol up on these so much? Because like that's that's my thing with them. It's just like I they feel like a real meal and also like the thing I would I would drink right before I go to bed. Um they're just they're so boozy. And I guess I guess that's where where it's been hard for me to get into them is just because I don't, you know, I don't like super high alcohol wines. I don't really and I don't really like super high alcohol beers. Um and so how would you recommend that I do, I, that I should give them another try. Like what is the ideal way to consume these? Obviously with food, um, but what kind of food and, you know, is it even in like a bottle of Goose Island, should I be drinking the entire bottle or should I be ha- you know, splitting that with someone else? And that should be like, that bottle should be two servings. You know what I mean? Because it just, sometimes some of these are just insane in terms of how much alcohol are inside. Yeah. Them. Yeah. Definitely at least two servings. <laughs> I mean, I rarely would drink a bottle like this, myself um i would say always like the best way to enjoy these beers anyway is to share them so i think that's kind of why people do bottle shares and how that culture kind of started is like nobody wants to sit around and like drink six 11 percent alcohol stouts by themselves unless they're like really sad and need (laughs) help (laughs) right so i would say share them i would also say with stouts like these you can even get like a bottle stopper like we we have for um, our champagne bottles and stuff, that will actually, if you get the right kind, I'll have to look it up. Maybe we can put this in the show notes. Um, there's a stopper that can actually seal the bottle and it'll be good for a couple of days at least. Um, like I was still sipping those bourbon counties for the week after <laughs> we tasted them because they were sent beautifully in this package with all these supplies, including these stoppers, which are really awesome. Um, otherwise. I don't know, man. Just like <laughs> commit to it. <laughs> it's not going to kill you. Okay. Fine. Have it for a dessert. It's kind of like, you know, you can appreciate a Napa cab. It's like the Napa cab of beer is a, a barrel aged Imperial stout. Like what do you do when you drink whiskey? Right. You're not going to drink the whole pint glass. Just like. Well, Zach does. Sit with it. Like I'll sit with a bottle for like. Only on, <laughs> only on special occasions. Yeah. Like on, like, on, on I election might, night. I might sit with a bottle for, you know, like an entire night. Like election night you know you might sit there for four hours and just like slowly sip on this thing and um it'll be delicious all the way down okay that's fair i'm wondering kat you know uh, you mentioned a little bit ago when we were talking about adam asking about sort of single barrel um beers but i'm curious you know is there is one of the reasons why um you know these beers are let's say harder to make obviously you mentioned the time but but how hard is it for these breweries to get barrels in the first place do you have any sense for that is it especially like you know used bourbon barrels i know there's a huge you know it's kind of this crazy market of you know bourbon barrels that go for other whiskeys the whether it's you know to scotland or ireland or or other parts of the u.s you know maybe even some now for you know uh wine uh production for the bourbon barrel aged wines like we've talked about like like what is the market like for these and is it is it prohibitive for most breweries to even start down this path I would say it definitely is. It's super competitive getting barrels. And I think that's also where some of the experimentation came from with barrel aging in general. You know, what used to be always bourbon um, opened up into whiskey and then, you know, craft distillers and wine and tequila and rum and like brandy. It's it's kind of whatever you can get your hands on is now uh, what, what brewers like to play with. And it depends a lot on 
how much money you have. I mean, I don't know how much a barrel of one, you know, brands goes versus another, but it's definitely not cheap. Um, I don't think it's as much like a, maybe it used to be kind of like favors or like a friendly swap and it's possible that still happens, but um, I think it's like not that easy. Like not every brewery can have a barrel program. And if they do, it usually starts extremely small. So, I mean, obviously we've talked a lot about Goose Island, but are there other other sort of bourbon barrel aged beers that you feel like, hey, you know, if you are have already tried Bourbon County or you don't can't get it or whatever, like, are there some others that you're like, hey, these are awesome and you should check them out? Totally. Alesmith Brewing in um, Anaheim, I think, or uh, San Diego. They are like a long respected, awesome brewery. Um, and they have been doing a stout called Speedway Stout for many years. And that one, um, you know, comes in all sorts of varieties and they kind of, unlike the like big pastry stout trend of like, let's put anything at all that we can like associate with dessert and throw it in this beer. Um, <laughs> they can. It's uh, a pie. Yeah, it's a pot like, and a beer. Time and place for everything, but they. Um, this actually was came from a story that Beth Demon, one of our contributors, wrote recently about Al Smith. Um, they kind of went the opposite of like that kind of trend following uh, thing, and so they stick with this beer. and And they've done all these different coffee varieties. They have done like Vietnamese coffee, Ethiopian coffee. Um, they're really, really good. Very cool. But there's tons of them out there. I mean, like. Chances are, like, anywhere you live, there is a brewery in your city that's that's making, like, a delicious barrel-aged something. Something, right. And it's – I think that the misconception, right, is that it's it's not all – it doesn't always have to be stouts, right? I think, like, people think of that because of Bourbon County and stuff like that, right? But that people are putting all kinds of things in, in barrels at this point, right? Right. I mean, we just – another story that we just ran recently by Ben Keane, who is a former editor of – Beer Advocate magazine, um, he did a really cool story about oak age lagers, which I love the story and the lagers. Um, and they're surprisingly more than you think. Like Threes is actually mentioned in the story. They do, they're one of the earliest um, people to do that, to, to do this in the US. Like this is, you know, hundreds of years old in the Czech Republic, but um, this is like a really good example is um, Threes kicking and screaming. Oh, so good. And then um, what else? Cerebral Brewing. They do some really good ones. I think their most recent one is called Tactical Maneuver. Um, and they're, they're, you, you might see it like it could be wood-aged or oak-aged or fooder, lager, fooder, pilsner. And so are these then, are these going into like neutral oak barrels? Or because I mean, obviously we all understand what happens with a barrel-aged, you know, stout or whatever, bourbon. Obviously it's, it's go they're going into used bourbon barrels and they're taking on bourbon flavor along with the stout. But are these lagers, are they just going into pure barrel? Or are they going into barrels that used to hold wine? Um, like what's happening with them? With the fooder lager. So a fooder is basically a giant vertical barrel for those listeners um, who aren't familiar. Those, it's like a it's like winning the lottery if you can get a like a fresh brand new one of these things. So I think that is like the goal is like you would want to um, start that way just to to see like you know it's a one time opportunity to to 
make something that truly gets the essence of this oak. Um, but then you can keep using that forever. I mean, threes, like they have their, their ongoing program. Like they have a fooder that's just dedicated to the lagers. They have one that's dedicated, I believe, to saisons or mixed fermentation. Um, so you, you can like keep um, developing sort of like seasoning a cast iron skillet, right? Like you develop the flavor of this, of this barrel over time. That's super cool. Um, yeah. I mean, I think I've, I've had obviously theirs and I think it's delicious. It is interesting how, um, how, like how different it, it is from a, a normal lager, how much nuance is there there. I mean, it's just, it's, it's really, really cool. Yeah. Very, very cool. And I don't think it would like smack you in the face. It's not like you would drink that Pilsner unknowingly and be like, Oh, what is that? It tastes like wood, but it's, it's, it just is like a nuance. Like if you really, if you could compare the two or if, if you like are familiar with drinking a certain beer style and, and then, and then taste one that's had this treatment, like you notice the, the subtleties and like how, how pretty it is. I was just going to ask, you know, um, cause, cause you were sort of, we, since we moved a little bit away from, from the sort of stout category yeah. and, and we, we hit on sours and stuff before to come back to this idea of aging, you know, is it a safe assumption for people that if it's a barrel aged beer, whatever the, whatever the sort of beer style, that it's a beer that you could consider aging if you're inclined to try? Yeah, I would say in general, if it's barrel aged and it's high ABV, um, it's a safe bet. It will be like it's not necessarily going to get better. You know, it's it's really it depends on the beer. It depends on your own subjectivity, um, but it will change over time, right? So something that beer people like to do, which is probably easier than doing with wine because um, of cost um, and availability, is like having multiple vintages of a beer. So like if you you know have a favorite brewery that does a barrel aged beer buy three of them and drink one now, save one for a year from now, save one from, for, you know, two years from now, or buy enough that you can compare the three. Um, and it's, it's kind of like, it's, it's fun to do. <laughs> I think it's really cool when you're like get, <laughs> getting into beer and like, you think it's like, it just fe- feels good to collect and to like have these cool things. And, you know, you have like special experiences. You might like take home a bottle from a trip that you went on, or maybe you got like a super rare bottle of Cantillon, like for three euro when you were lucky enough to be on a business trip in Belgium, just saying. (laughs) Um, And then you can hold on to it for as long as you want. Just there are still like things you want to do to keep it from, um, I mean, it's not going to spoil and like hurt you or make you ill, but you might, you might not like, keep it um and its ultimate flavor potential if you're like leaving it in the corner of your apartment like <laughs> I've got- uh so okay so then i mean is there like a a recommended way that you would store the beer like so i mean do i need to have should i put my beers in like the wine fridge is it okay yeah. to like be storing them at room temp or no like they should stay cold um like what, what how are you yeah. supposed to store an aged beer um uh, basically if you store it cold then it's not going to change. So like if it's, you know, like the, the typical beer or refrigerator temperature of like 33 or 36 degrees, um, then you're just sort of keeping it as is like there won't, oh, really? there won't be much like, like the chemical components and, and whatever is, what is like suspended there. Um, will basically just 
chill. <laughs> it's chilling. So you want to have a cellar temperature. And for most people, this can be your basement or your garage or your back porch, you know, in cooler months, um, which is why I struggled with it because I never had any of those things. So right. I was, was thinking like, oh, my dark closet is good enough. And like, that's where I homebrewed and, and like, that's where I would keep um, like fermenting beer. But, um, you know, warm temperatures might create a vigorous fermentation, but you really don't want to like condition or age beer that way because right. it just like makes it, it accelerates the process of the aging. So it'll just get to wherever it's going to go more quickly. And so then if you have like an Oscar Blues 10 Finney and you, you open it three years later uh, and it like doesn't taste so good, then that's probably why. Right. Although I actually did that with a canned version, Pat and I did, and it was so good. I wouldn't recommend aging canned beers. Like, it's just kind of silly, but uh, it was still really good. Can I share a brief aged beer story? Because yeah, I think please. you'll both appreciate it. Of course. Listeners do too. So, I bought, so I've always been a big fan of Breakside Brewing, which is in Portland. Um, and yeah. Breakside does a number I love their of. Stuff. Yeah, and they make some awesome seasonal. Um, they do like a seasonal beer. I mean, they do a lot of seasonal beers, but um, the they there's one, and now I'm blanking on the name. But every every quarter they put out a new sort of. It's like a fruit beer with other things. And I bought a while back, like a like a twelve bottle case, I think, of a. It was now I'm of course I don't have it in front of me, but it's I think it's a mix of kumquat, coriander, and something else. Um, and I've been opening them like every six months to a year um, over the last few years. And it's super interesting. I mean, for one, I actually have to like decant it or, or strain it because it's got so much particulate matter suspended in it that like, unless I really want to chew on it, I, I, I strain it, which is fine, but it's so fascinating to see how much it's changed. And, and I mean, certainly a, a very high quality beer, not super high ABV. So maybe not the optimal beer for, for aging, but, but things with that, where there's just a lot going on. I mean, in the same way with wine, I think, um, it can be really interesting to age them. And, and it's been fun to kind of like, well, I think the last time I opened one was, you know, before the pandemic so i could actually share it with a few friends because you know i thought that that's kind of the timing and setting that i like to do that but uh but i do have a couple more so maybe one day i will get to open them that's so interesting i wonder if like like have you do you take notes when you taste them or do you just kind of remember like oh last time it was a little more tart and now it's uh i definitely don't take notes (laughs) i should you can actually remember Well, I would say it's more like I, I can remember the sort of broad trend. I don't think I could say definitively this one is this much more, you know, the 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 coriander. Like I will say that like the herbaceous notes are definitely getting more intense over time, mm. uh, whereas like the kumquat especially is like diminished quite a bit. Right. Yeah. And that's um, I mean, that's happens with hops, too. And that's why you, you don't really want to age IPAs or anything that has like a ton of fresh um herb or fruit in it is like it'll just fade over time like you're not really getting anything out of uh of like holding on to that um but that beer sounds like a really interesting one to age i wonder if it'll reach a certain point where you're like nope that's it <laughs> well i only have, to get, I have two bottles left so we can't be we i don't think that'll be if oh it comes God. it won't be that big of a left <laughs> cat all i gotta do is wait till the pandemic ends and fly to seattle and i'll be happy to share one with you okay. you too Adam, <laughs> yeah thanks 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 zach um well, yeah, this has been great having you on this this week. This has been really interesting. I mean, I think you've made me feel like I need to at least go out and uh and, and get some of these beers and try and try them again, especially the the bourbon barrel aged ones, and also potentially make some room in my wine fridge for some 
some beers to age. Like I got to see what this is all about. Oh, absolutely. I'll recommend if you see anything from Allagash Brewing Company's Cool Ship series, this is one that Pat, my husband and I actually popped on election night. We were just like, no matter which way this goes, like we're just going to get into the good stuff. <laughs> it was their Cool Ship beer that we bought like six or seven years ago. And we were assuming that like we totally blew it because this has made it from, I think it's gone from like our two apartments ago to here, um, lived in three different hot closets. <laughs> so we were kind of scared, but it was so good. Like spot on goose, like could have been Cantillon, really, really good. So that's, uh, I think that's another pro tip is like find a brewery that you know also is really good at doing this and uh, seek those out and, and get a couple in your wine fridge. I mean, actually that I did have last week, an aged beer I just realized. What was it? And you're going to be really jealous. Stop. <laughs> and I'm super sorry. What? But uh, there was this be- – so I went. I worked in the Vine Pair office on last Friday with oh, Josh. I know what you did. And there was a Jester King cool ship. <laughs> yeah. And it was a, a, it was like a year and a half old. And yeah, oh it God. was really, really, really good. Yeah, tell me about it. I didn't actually hear about how it tasted. I just got the like FOMO inducing photo from Josh. We're, 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 drink, we're, we're drinking this cat. Um, <laughs> like, check it out. I'm like, cool, man. Like, wish I was invited, but whatever. <laughs> um, it was, I mean, it was again, it was, it was similar to Allagash. It was, it was a sour, but not aggressively sour. Like, it was very balanced. Um, you know, sometimes those sour beers can be like, I mean, all of a sudden you're just like, okay, uh, please rip my esophagus out. I'd really yes. appreciate that. This is delicious. Um, <laughs> it it wasn't like that. It was uh, incredibly balanced. Really, really, uh, there was like this fruit on it as well. Um, it had a lot of like wine characteristics, actually. It was really tasty. I thought it was a very good beer. Mm-hmm. Su- super easy to drink. Um, and wow. I, you know, I know that they're a very celebrated Texas brewery. I actually, this is my first beer I've ever had from them. Um, but it was awesome. really, really tasty. I was very impressed. Yeah, I mean that is that's their jam, and you should seek them out. Like I think <laughs> your your path to to appreciating barrel aged beer is going to be barrel aged sours, um, or you know mixed fermentation or native yeast or wild yeast or what have you, um, because that is like they really do benefit from sitting in in you know like sitting in the oak and then. Uh, you know, sitting in the bottle over time. I think that kind of helps to soften the burn because, you know, I have that too, where I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> my insides are on fire. But Right, like why did this have to be this? Why yeah. did you have to make it this acidic? Why are you trying to make me go and be in pain? But <laughs> yeah, I mean. don't even notice. It's just like, it's normal to some people and then to, to folks like us. It's like, like no, oh, damn it, this is torture. Yeah. Even though the beer is delicious. Yep, totally. Exactly. I completely agree. Yeah. Well, guys, this has been an awesome conversation as always. Kat, thank you so much for joining us this week. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me back anytime, guys. I love talking about beer, as you know. Yeah, we know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I will I will see uh, you guys. Uh, Zach, I'll see you back here next week, probably with another guest host. And uh, Kat, come back anytime. All righty. Cheers, guys. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you enjoy listening to us every week, please leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now, for the credits. Vine Pair is produced by myself, 
and Zach Jabal. It is also mixed and edited by him. Yeah, Zach, we know you do a lot. I'd also like to thank the entire Vinepair team, including my co-founder, Josh, and our associate editor, Kat Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.